This episode deals with body image and talks about diet culture. Please listen with care. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hello, Sarah. Just saw you there in Hilton Head. It was so great to see you in person. It was so much fun to see you and Dimity and and the whole crew. I had such a great time and such good people show up as can be expected. So it was really a lot of fun. Yes. And you got people, I just loved how you got people talking in your presentation, asking about their story. And it really just reminds reminded me that everyone is on their own journey in their own shoes and on their own path. And it's just everybody's different, you know? Yes. Yes. And it's a collective too, right? So we're all on our own journeys, but we share a lot of commonalities and, and empathy more so. Oh yes. Right. So so much nodding and, and agreement while people were talking and it kind of felt like people were kind of radiating hugs across the circle that you had us sitting in at your presentation. Yeah. That was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Really, really good. And then we got to be in a race together, the Hilton Head Island quarter marathon. (laughs) Which was my first quarter marathon. I really enjoyed the distance. And so um, I think you need to talk about the results, Sarah. (laughs) Yes. Well, I will have to say though, that I went on a run this morning that was was almost the exact same length. And I ran two minutes slower per mile because I was just out on a, a jaunt. And my goodness, isn't it amazing what a race can get you to do? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So I um, pretty much always run two minutes per mile slower than what we ran on yes. Sunday. That was yes. Mm-hmm. And I have to say on the shakeout run the day before, the race, mm-hmm. you had said it's going to be slow and easy. So I'm thinking <laughs> slow and easy. And that group that you led took off like a, a shot out of a cannon. And I'm like, holy crow, I didn't warm up for the shakeout run. <laughs> and then you like, I must have been adrenaline because <laughs> I didn't feel like that was fast. Well, you didn't. And, and, and I'd say like at the end, you're like, does anybody want to do pickups? And I'm in the back going, no. <laughs> This whole thing was a pickup. And that, the last mile, I mean, I was way behind all y'all and it was a 930. I'm like, okay, I haven't seen a nine in a, oh. in a mile in a good long while. Oh, wow. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My sports ego really drives me to do some crazy things. Oh my gosh. It didn't feel like that at all. Also, I was worried because I hadn't run. So that shakeout run was on Saturday and the race was on Sunday. As you said, I hadn't gone for a run since, let me think about this, since Tuesday morning. I traveled Wednesday. I played pickleball Thursday. I swam, did great swim workout on Friday, but I was kind of, I I was getting kind of itchy and antsy thinking, oh, I haven't gone running. Do I remember how to do this? Well, I'm going to say the taper worked for you really well, because not only did you remember how to do it on the shakeout run, but you know, remembered how to do it in the race too. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was just so fun. And you, you just, it's not, I know it's adrenaline, but typically I don't like the feeling of adrenaline. I don't like feeling jittery or amped up. And just that feeling of utter control and smoothness and 
controlled power I find very intoxicating. You mean like in the moment of the of the race? Race, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because so that it ended up, there were about um, a little under 600 people in the race. And so it ended up that you and I were standing near each other at the start. And I'm like, okay, Tish is going to take off and that's it. And I was like, oh, okay, look. I, I kind of feel good. I think I'm going out too fast, but I'm not going to look at my Koros GPS. So I'll just keep going at this and, you know, might come back to bite me in the butt. But I was like, oh, this is this is fun. Yeah. You know, and that's such a smart way to run a race is just to do it by feel and not and try not to f- get obsessed with the numbers because it can work both ways. Right. Like you can f- mm-hmm. you can freak yourself. You can first you can tell yourself like, oh, I need to go faster. But then you can also go, oh, my God, that was too fast. And now I'm going to blow up. Right. And, mm-hmm. and sabotage mm-hmm. yourself. But I have to say, because of the way this course was designed and and like it was a figure eight, I think you called it. Mm-hmm. And like so you could mm-hmm. see people and it. Yeah. Yes. the um in like between somewhere between mile one and and probably around the two mile mark I, I saw that you were behind me and I'm like okay mm-hmm. like I, I got you I, I got where Sarah is and um mm-hmm. and uh I felt like I was running a pretty steady pace and and I, mm-hmm. I slowed down a little bit in the second half but not like not it wasn't crazy slow down like 10 seconds mm-hmm. per mile anyway I have a point and my point is you <laughs> ran a really smart race because Aww. you closed that gap to the point where you you almost got me in the in the in the very in the shoot in the finisher <laughs> shoot and I'm hearing people call out go Sarah go Sarah and I'm like wait a minute who the heck is Sarah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go well thank you and i also it wasn't you know i saw you a fair bit but up until about the two mile mark or uh, probably a little less than that but then i didn't see you for the rest of the race and then the final bit there were some turns and we were in kind of a you know tree wooded area and everything and so then it wasn't till i don't know the final tenth of a mile maybe an eighth of a mile that i saw you yeah and then i had a target on my back and you're like i'm getting her (laughs) no 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 no. because by that point i think if i had seen you in the final let's say quarter mile maybe half mile i would have chased you down and And although i was really given i was given it all i got so i don't know for a fact that i had enough you know gas in the tank to to pass you but i also with age has come wisdom because by the time I saw you and thought maybe I could have caught you, it would have been such a D-I-C-K move to pass you oh. <laughs> because it, it would have been, it would have been with steps to the finish line. And I just was like, Sarah, you don't need to do that. Like you just like, that would be just a jerk thing to do. Uh, so so, so and, you, what you're saying is you gave me the, I, I beat you by, I think it's eight hundredths of a second. <laughs> I love that we both know that. Yes. Uh-huh. 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 Yes. <laughs> so you gave me that tiny, tiny little, <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to let you live up to your squeaker res- reputation. Yes, going to yes. let you squeak by me, but I'm just doing that because I'm a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a nice person. I'm just saying I'm not a um, yeah, jerk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have to also give out two shout outs to other Bammers. Mm-hmm. And one is yes. Jill from Westfield, who blew yes. by, I don't know if she blew by you, but she blew by me some someplace yes. in that last quarter of a mile. And she was flying. So good job, Jill. And she got ahead of us by a think about a minute and mm-hmm. and like really convincingly well as you say I had, I had nothing in the tank either i'm like i saw her go- coming i saw her go i said you oh got yes this. Mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and she talked she talked to me she came up from behind me and was like 
you're you're another mother runner aren't you you're another mother runner i was like yes and and so she was like i love your podcast i listen to it all the time i'm like thank you and then she like takes off i'm like "Uh uh-huh have a great race (laughs) (laughs) but then also i have to say um kathy from madawan who was on the retreat she was just like steps behind us and yes i don't mean this to sound ageist but because i am also in the we're in the same age group i'm on the younger end and she's on the older end of our age group but she had a fantastic race and if you plug numbers into those age graded calculators, you know, mm-hmm. you and I, Sarah, are like in the 63, 65 percentile, which is about right. Kathy was mm-hmm. in the 73 or 74 percentile for her age group. Oh, she crushed She it. totally crushed, crushed it. Yes. So, and next year she moves up into the next I know, age she's category like, and she's just going to dominate. I know it. I know it. Yes. And <laughs> such a, she, always a smile on her face. She's just, I mean, everyone there was great. Just Kathy was, is a really lovely human Yes, being. seriously. So, yeah. Yeah, so Tish, that was just a, a ton of a ton of fun to be in the same race with you. So I was pleased to share that with you, and a ton of fun for the whole weekend. So thank you for mm-hmm. having me. Yes, yes. All right. Well, our topic today is body image and running, and our guest is Charlotte Markey, PhD. She's a world leading expert in body image research, having studied all things body image and eating behaviors for more than twenty five years. She is passionate about understanding what makes us feel good about our bodies and helping people to develop a healthy body image and relationship with food. Charlotte is a psychology professor at Rutgers University and has published more than 100 scholarly articles and chapters about health issues. She's also an author, having most recently published the Body Image Book Series. And Adultish, the Body Image Book for Life, is coming out in 2024. Charlotte is a runner and the mom of two teenagers. So thank you for joining us, Charlotte. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Charlotte, We'd like to start our interviews by asking our guests about their running background. So where are you now with your running? Slow, very slow is where I'm at. Uh, (laughs) But uh, my motto since I picked up running really has been just as long as you're doing something, it's better than nothing. And Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm actually supposed to be doing a half marathon on Sunday with one of my best friends and we refer to each other as running partners. Mm-hmm. And so we do these races a few times a year in part because it's an excuse to spend like five hours together basically with the drive and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm still running. That's about all I can say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where's the race? It's in New Jersey. We were just trying to figure this out today. We, uh, I live in Pennsylvania. We, we live in Pennsylvania and it's, I think it's like 45 minutes away in New Jersey and it's supposed to end at a winery. And I think that mm. sounded kind of scenic or something, but I've never <laughs> been one to like want to have like a alcoholic beverage after a race. So mm-hmm. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> you sound a little wary of this whole thing, Charlotte. I, I think you got to get a little <laughs> amped up before before the race. before Sunday. Am yeah. I not? I'm, right. You got to get sure where it my is. audience here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's somewhere. It's a half marathon. It's somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny story, We because we do this, like I said, my, my good friend, we do this a few times a year. And the last one was in uh, May. And I thought we had signed up for a half marathon. And then I realized after that we had signed up for a 25K because I was oh. in bed doing this on my phone. And okay. it turns out that's farther. <laughs> <laughs> And it rained the entire race. Ooh. Oh boy! And it was a trail race, so it was slippery. 
but it was still actually really fun. And I'm glad we did it. And we had a good time together. And that's how I try to look at it. Mm. It is always good to have it done, have done it. And it's always fun to do with friends. Yeah. Now, so I'd like to shift gears a little bit and ask you about your professional life, especially like what prompted you to, to choose body image for research and for your work? I think really it dates back to my childhood. I was a dancer and there was a lot of focus on, you know, your body when you're a dancer. And so I think that never left me, but I think, you know, most women in particular, I know, feel like this topic resonates because we're used to feeling like people care about our bodies. So I think it started at a young age and there's just plenty of life experience that's compounded that. And even when I think I'm tired of studying it, I'm not. Something else comes up and my interest is renewed all over again. Mm -hmm. All right. So to ensure we're all on the same page, what is body image? Yeah. So body image has defined differently by different people. I think we all probably generally know what we're talking about, but I define it really broadly because I don't think it's just like how we think and feel about our body. I think it has much bigger consequences than just this sort of personal experience or uh, part of our identity because we know from decades of research now that how we feel about our bodies affects our social interactions, it affects our mental health, it affects things like our activity behaviors. So um, I think it's really pervasive and, and a huge part of our everyday experience. So what are some of the key factors contributing to body image development? I mean, I think our first exposure for most of us is is at home in terms of how our family members talk about their own and other people's bodies. And this is often very closely linked with how they eat. And so if you grow up in a household where there's always someone on a diet and criticizing their body, then that really normalizes from a young age the idea that bodies need to look a certain way and you need to do certain things to try to make them look that way. And bodies are projects, essentially. So it's it starts at home, and then how does society enter into that and compound it? Yeah. I mean, society is not obviously a, a completely separate influence, but those family voices are loud. And then especially as kids get older, their peers and society writ large becomes much more important to them. And now social media in particular, does seem to compound that because, you know, when I was young, I'd get like Glamour Magazine or Teen Bop or whatever it was once a month. Mm -hmm. And now kids kind of get that flavor of content, you know, multiple times a day, in some cases, practically all day long. Mm -hmm. So most of those messages that kids receive are pretty restrictive in terms of suggesting that it's important to look certain ways. It's important to look slender. It's important to look muscular. It's important to have certain dimensions depending on your gender identity. And if you don't, then you can change yourself. You just have to try harder. And unfortunately, there's a a lot of problems with those messages. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So on your Instagram account, you wrote something I just adore. You wrote, We are all real people with a lot of mess. We are not perfect, nor do we have to try to appear perfect. We just should do our best. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard 
you know, to be in this world with so much focus on image and how we look and to not then become overly consumed with or spend a lot of energy on that. And I think most of us don't want to, or most of us would rather spend energy in other ways. And so it's important that we're honest, those of us who are willing to be and say like, listen, I'm just not going to always look good or I don't care. That's not the most important thing in my life. Or yeah, I mean, I I don't weigh the same amount I did in high school and guess what? Good. And life is just messier and much more interesting and enjoyable when we stop trying to live up to some ideal or expectation. And and it's partly about how we look, but I think that that sort of image and these ideas of how we look really are representative of, of much more than that, right? Kind of like that we have our stuff together all the time. And, and I think most of us don't, frankly. I think we're all kind of doing our best. And if we give each other the benefit of the doubt that we're just kind of doing our best, that that goes a long way. So on that point, uh, in one of your books aimed at teens, you suggest focusing on functionality rather than appearance. Yeah. And which seems like really great yeah. advice for for everybody and for active women also. But but give us some um, a sense of what this means. Like what does focusing on functionality mean and how can women runners incorporate that? Yeah, it's something I really think about a lot as a body image researcher and a runner. You know, when I go out to run and especially when it's social or it's a it's something, you know, fun and planned like like a race I'm doing. I really do try to spend some time reflecting on like, isn't it cool that my body can do this? You know, like our bodies are really cool. They're just really amazing. And when we just focus on like having the perfect hair or whatever, we lose sight of all the amazing things our bodies do for us. And they allow us to live our lives and they allow us to have these amazing experiences, whether it's, you know, a race or spending time with friends or, um, you know, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent being grateful for these bodies that, that carry us to a starting line and across a, across a finish line. So this is interesting. Like some body image scientists have suggested we aim for body neutrality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and can, can you talk to us a little bit about how, how is body neutrality different from body positivity or self-love or loving our bodies, that sort of thing? Yeah. So it kind of starts, I think, with people who are a little bit critical maybe of this idea of body positivity and thinking like, well, that's kind of a lot of a pressure, right? Like what if I just don't feel good about my appearance or my body in particular? And and body neutrality then is a response to, I think, that criticism and the suggestion that, well, maybe you don't have to. You don't have to love your body. You don't have to think about it. You should focus on just being accepting and content. And it's sort of like, you know, in a perfect world, we'd all be happy all the time, but that would be a lot of pressure too, right? Sometimes maybe it's better just to be content, right? Just to kind of feel calm, good. Um, And so that's kind of the space where body neutrality sits as well. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, as a psychologist, I want people to honestly sometimes feel a little bit better than neutral. But I think that neutrality is is a great place to sit a lot of the time. And it's also, uh, I think, less intimidating for people who are struggling with body image 
to just think about like, hey, I don't have to love myself in this way for these reasons every single day, but I can focus on things like functionality and other aspects of my life that are important to me. Do you find there's an age difference that when I hear you talking about body neutrality, that to me seems definitely like something kind of, I don't know, people who are 35 plus do that, that, I mean, you see in social media, I hear from my kids, um, you know, you hear celebrities, younger ones, and it seems like body positivity is just it for younger people. I think so, but I, I think it, it really depends on kind of who you're talking with, right? So I, I spend a lot of time talking with teenagers and young adults, both personally and professionally, and in professional spaces for people who are, for example, recovering from an eating disorder, body neutrality can be a really important part of that recovery because these are people who've really struggled with body image issues. And for them, it's transformative to say, I don't have to like how I look all the time. That is not most important. And I need to land there at least temporarily because otherwise I'm going to spend so much energy focused on this that I can't recover, right? So that's a lot of young people I talk to who will really grasp onto that mentality. Um, But I also do think that with age, and I do hear this among my, my women friends, there is a greater appreciation of neutrality, right? It's like, we're not trying to be supermodels. We're not trying to attract partners. We're not trying to, you know, just other things are more obviously important in our lives, right? And and that is easier, I think, to see with age, maybe in part because of wisdom, but in part because some of these pieces of our lives have fallen into place. So we're not quite as worried about how other people are perceiving us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from the brands that support us. We'll be back shortly. Stay with us. So as a follow-up question to that one Tish asked about body neutrality, this comes from Cassie on our Facebook page. She's hoping you can address the misperception by runners and non-runners of how runners are, quote, supposed to look. Cassie says that since she doesn't look like a stick figure, her words, many people are shocked to learn she's a runner. That's interesting because I feel like one of the things I love about running and even about doing races is that I look around and I feel like people really do look different. Um, So I wonder if that's a piece of self-consciousness that is not necessarily the same perception others have. I think we're our own worst critic, right? So if someone is surprised, maybe it, it really doesn't have as much to do with your body shape or size as you know your age or you've just never brought it up before or who knows, a variety of other things. Maybe they're wondering how the heck you, you squeeze that into your day. Mm. I, I think you know something I, I love about running is that there seems to be a great deal of variability. But we do hear from a lot of women, particularly maybe women who are not size two or four, that they don't feel like they conform to what society thinks of as a runner. You know, they don't look like the Olympians or the people who are standing on the podium at the New York City Marathon. So kind of do you have any words for people like that who maybe feel like they don't, quote unquote, belong at a starting line because of their body shape? 
I mean, I think everyone belongs. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I think the most important thing to do is if you feel like this is a space that's not for you is to make sure that you do share that you belong, right? I, I would say don't mm-hmm. don't accept that as a reasonable option, but to say, um, no, I mean, I, that's part of what I love about running. I think it, it's it's for anyone. You can be slow, you can be fast, you can walk sometimes, you can you can look tall, short, heavy, light. There's a place for everyone. And maybe if you're not feeling you're in that that place, then you need a running partner. You need to find someone who is more like you that you can do this with because I think that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jenny on our Facebook page had a question about uh, like her self-reflection changing. And she says, what causes me to think one way positively about her body when she's running, when I'm running regularly, and then as soon as I take two or more days off, I see a completely different person in the mirror. And a lot of folks resonated with this comment on, on Facebook. So what what would you say for women who feel different when they're active versus when they're not? Well, I think most of us are active because it feels good, right? And so there may be some legitimate piece of this this feeling and that, you know, the days I run, I tend to feel better. I feel a little bit calmer and I think it's good psychologically. I feel it's good for my energy level. So I think there's perhaps a, a little piece of this that's legitimate. But then I think also if, you know, one or two days of missing running is making you really perceive yourself differently, then this is not about the running right? This is, the running is representative of something else. And maybe it's feeling like your life has gotten too chaotic and so there's not time for the running. And it's really the chaos Hmm. or the stress or you're experiencing anxiety and that anxiety is being sort of channeled into body anxiety in particular. So I'm not trying to say that this isn't understandable. I think I've I have experienced this in the past. I have worked through these sorts of feelings in the past and I think you know runners tend to be kind of compulsive, right? It's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. And I think that we have to keep those compulsions in check sometimes. And so again, if it's it's really just a day or two, then there's something else going on and and maybe some psychological support would help you sort of figure out what that's about. You know, I think most people who enjoy running and do it pretty regularly, if you take a couple weeks off for some reason, then you start to feel, you know, kind of yuck maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think a day or two that's really where you should be because you need to take rest days too, really. Mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. All right, so going back to your Instagram account, you recently wrote, "I have been passionately anti-diet since before it was a thing to be anti-diet." So for folks who want to get to that anti-diet destination, can you give any directions? Yeah, it's hard because the diets are everywhere. <laughs> it's a voice that never quiets. It just, what it's saying changes. And so you really, I think, have to educate yourself, right? This is why I started writing books is because when I was teaching undergraduates about the research that suggests that dieting is so ineffective, they were just consistently year after year surprised. And they'd say things like, well, then how can people like, you know, market these diets? How can people talk about them if they don't work? Mm. So they're like, well, 
there's not always truth in advertising, right? Like just because it's on Instagram doesn't mean it's the truth necessarily. It doesn't mean there's data to support it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, it's important to educate yourself about uh, these data, these findings that just for decades now have shown that dieting tends to be incredibly ineffective, that people who start a diet within two years tend to weigh the same or more. So a lot of dieting research is short-term. So if you look at three months later, yeah, people lose weight on almost any diet at about three months. Six months, usually people have plateaued. A year, nope, people are gaining back. And the reason for this is because our body resists weight loss. It's an evolutionary feature or it's viewed as an evolutionary feature most likely that our bodies don't want to lose weight because it, um, in our evolutionary history, it wouldn't have been adaptive to starve, right? Like our, our bodies want to hold on to weight. And also it's just psychologically really challenging to restrict ourselves from something that we like and that's sustaining. So, you know, I, I wrote a whole book about this, so I don't want to, I don't want to dive in too deep. Um, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, education is a, is a good first step. I, there's a lot of great books on why dieting is problematic. Some of them even have like anti-diet in the title. And I think that once you kind of know that science, it becomes easier to resist the chatter, the sort of constant chatter of marketing about dieting. And and we're in such an interesting time, right, this very second with constant chatter of marketing about dieting when uh, there's so many new weight loss drugs hitting the market. I, I think I heard of a new um, injection just came out like this week. And yeah. it, it seems like it's like we're in this interesting time where like, yes, people talk about anti-diet and then there's this like weight loss culture. Right. And somebody for one of our, our followers on Facebook, Jenny on Facebook says like, how do you balance living a healthy lifestyle with all this drug weight loss culture happening? Yeah. I do think that the, the weight loss drugs add um, some complexity to the conversation for sure. And I think because it's so new, we haven't really sorted it all out yet. I personally feel like we need to see more data before we really understand if if this is a a good option for many, if any, if any people. <laughs> but I think again, this is where education is important and sometimes support is really important as well. I mean, there are professionals both in the psychology spaces and registered dietitians that have expertise in helping people to sort of maintain a relatively healthy diet without sort of the psychological obsession or overthinking that can then become problematic. And I think that a lot of us can use that support because a lot of us adult women have been raised on a maladaptive messaging about these issues. I think we also, just hearing your answer to that, I think we need more words to be able to describe all this because, you know, when you talk about what one eats in a from a day to day basis. We use the word diet, and but then diet also means something you go on to lose weight. And so I don't know, like, and then to say like food plan or eating style or eating habits. It's just I don't know. I want I want more language so that we can parse it out and so that we don't feel like we have to tiptoe around talking about what we eat every day because we can't use the word diet. Yeah, I think that's you know? a, a really good observation and. You know, I struggle with the language as someone who does this work, you know, basically for a living, because I feel like 
you know, I, I don't want people to diet, but I'm not trying to say, yeah, everyone eat whatever the hell you want all the time. Because I think we know, especially if you're a runner, especially if you're trying to be active, you need to hydrate. You need to, you know, have carbohydrates. You need to have protein. You can't just, you know, I'm not going to go get a donut Sunday morning before the race because I would feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think we need to deny that, but you're right that there's, the language feels a little bit limited in terms of like, you're either anti-diet or you're not, but there's more nuance than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So changing paths a little bit, what are some signs we can all be on the lookout for that indicate our desire to be active and healthy is tipped into dangerous territory? I mean, many of us applaud people who have a run streak, but yet it seems so easy for that to become more insidious. And and I say that as a person who had an exercise streak of five and a half years that I only broke because I went on a, a big trip with my new husband and I knew he just was not going to sit by, back at the hotel and, and wait for me to be done with my workout. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think a lot of the runners I know, and you know, I don't run professionally, so this may be a very limited sample of people, but I do think we're kind of compulsive types and it's really easy to sort of fall into this pattern where you feel like it's this thing you have to do, you know, daily or even more often for some people. And um, I think it's when you can't not do it because you feel that bad psychologically and physically when you don't, that you have to be concerned. When I started running as an adult, it was after I'd had my kids and I hadn't been able to really do any kind of exercise when they were both very little because they're close in age and I was working and it just, was a lot going on. And then I started to run and I started keeping track. This is like before I had a smartphone. This is before there were smartphones, Mm -hmm. but I had a computer. I had like an Excel spreadsheet, (laughs) I think. (laughs) All right. So I'm aging myself here. (laughs) But I started to keep track of my mileage when I ran. And I started to realize that I felt bad if I didn't run more every week than I had run the week before. Mm. And to me, that was a signal like it, it took, it did take me, you know, I don't know how long, I don't remember at this point, but it took me a little while to figure it out. But that was a signal to me that I need to stop keeping track of how much I run. <laughs> that that was damaging my mm. relationship with mm-hmm. exercise. That exercise was not fun when I was feeling like, oh, but I have to do this, this certain amount. And it has to keep getting more, right? That's what we talk about as obligatory exercise um, in the field. And we shouldn't feel that it's obligatory, right? So when it stops feeling fun, then we know we have a problem. So you wrote a book aimed at teams and this leads into our next question, which is like moms in in the Another Mother Runner community, they often share that they're trying to set a good example for their children by being active. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you give to parents like who are trying to both promote activity and healthy body image. So just a little bit of advice. Yeah. So I think it's really important in terms of how we frame our activity um, for ourselves. But if we're maybe not doing it optimally for ourselves, then try to do it better for the sake of our kids. And what I mean by that is we don't want to say things like, oh, I ate so much. I got to go on a long run tomorrow. Or 
look at what's going on with my butt now in these pants. I'm going to run a lot this week, right? When we start to uh, talk about our eating habits and our exercise habits in relation to each other like that, the exercise becomes punishment for eating, which is not how we want young people to think about activity. We want them to think about it as something they can enjoy and engage in for most of their lives if possible. So it can't be a punishment. Punishment is punishment and shame are not the mindsets we want to have if we're going to sustain behaviors. There's just good research to suggest that those sorts of negative mental spaces are not as good at promoting health habits across time. All right, Charlotte, is there anything you think we've missed that we should have touched on? No, I think the important thing is to run for fun and to try to teach our kids that activity can be fun and it can be good for our mental health and physical health. So we're doing something that's important for ourselves. All right, we'll have a great half marathon on Sunday. Get 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 a little more amped up. Remind yourself how much fun you had back in May. I know. I always get amped up that morning. It's it's this is the phase where I start thinking about getting up early. And I'm like, "Oh god, why am I getting up early on a Sunday? Who are all these crazy people getting up early on a Sunday?" Who thought this was a good idea? Right. I, I, so I'm I'm you've caught me kind of in like this 48 hours where I'm like, "This was a bad idea." This. <laughs> You'll be happy Sunday afternoon. Sunday right. afternoon, I'll sign up yeah. for the next one. That's the way it goes. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Maybe do it on a desktop instead of on your phone, so you know exactly the distance you'll be going. Yeah, that was kind of a faux pas of sorts. <laughs> All right, thanks for talking with us, Charlotte. Yeah, of course. All right, take care. Mm-hmm, bye bye. Mm. It is just such a balancing act, all of it. Uh, you know, the uh, obligatory exercise that that kind of um, that resonated with me. That idea. Yes, yes, ba- balancing the running to be healthy and not getting over obsessed with it. It's always a fine line, and it's one that keeps changing. Right, every year that we continue to run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Exactly. All right, well, please rate our podcast on iTunes and write a quick, hopefully glowing review. Given the way iTunes works, getting reviews helps podcasts find new listeners and helps new listeners find our shows, which we really appreciate. And if you're not uh, into writing reviews, we recently learned from our podcast survey that the majority of our listeners find our podcast through word of mouth. So please tell a few friends, neighbors, coworkers, relatives about our show. Tell everybody on Facebook. And uh, however you do it, please help us spread the word about the Another Mother Runner podcasts. We really appreciate it. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medora from Fire on the Bluff. Fire on the Bluff.